Amen. Y'all want to just stay here and sing some more? Y'all want to get into the Word? Let me pray for us right now. Father, thank You for just the Spirit-filled worship that we've had this morning, God. And as we, we sing that Word, great are You, Lord, Lord, even that phrase can't depict the God that You are. The words can't contain You, Lord. Lord, if we could stay here and sing all day long, we wouldn't begin to scratch the surface of how great You are. Lord, we just thank You for being here among us. We thank You for all that You do for us, Lord. Go with us now, Lord, as we read Your Word in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look today at the letter of Jude, the letter of Jude, I I wanted to begin just by reading to you from a news report about what happened this week. I don't know if you were paying attention to the news, but um, Chinese army uh, flew a plane over Taiwanese airspace. Did you see that in the news? And listen to why. Um, They said and this was announced by the Eastern Theater Command of the People's Liberation Army, what they said was this was a response to collusion and provocations by the, uh, by the United States and Taiwan. Chinese Defense Ministry spokesman Wu Qian said in his statement that we are provoking China to take military action. Well, I don't want to get into all the politics of that because that, that, could, that could be a whole different message altogether. But I do want to say, though, that um, if anybody's provoking anybody, it's China. <laughs> uh, if anybody's provoking anybody, it's Russia. I mean, you know that all of that's true. If you pay any attention to the news and world politics and everything that's going on in the world around you, you know it's true. But I think about that word provocation. And I watch this happen with my children. Every time we get into the car. And it's usually the one that's screaming the loudest that provoked. You ever, you ever notice that? He hit me. I used to do it as a kid. I mean, I, I can't blame my kids. They come about it honestly because I used to do it. Run up behind them, give them a smack on the head, and then whenever they turn and hit, then you say, oh, he hit me. And So, you know, provocation. How many of you feel like you've been provoked by the devil lately? Amen. That's what I'm getting at. Here's the truth. We're going to skip right to the truth this morning before we read the Scripture. And here's the truth. The biblical truth for today is Christians shouldn't pick a fight. I mean, you, you agree with that. We shouldn't pick a fight. We're not, we're not to be contentious. But the fight has already picked us. The moment that you trusted in Jesus Christ was the day that the devil lost territory. And he's been trying to get that territory back ever since. And he's hateful. And he's hurtful. And he's picked a fight with you. The target is on your back. 
Why don't you stand with me and we're going to hear Jude's words. I love this book of Jude. It's real short. If you hadn't found it yet, just go to the book of Maps and then turn back two books and you'll be at Jude. Okay? All right. So uh, here, here's the scripture this morning that we're going to read. Verses, uh, we'll just read down through verse 4 of Jude. We'll get to the rest in a moment. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Let's just stop there for a moment and note Jude's humility as he's writing, okay? Because uh, as a brother of James, what does that make Jude? The brother of Jesus, okay? So you're paying attention, thank you. Jude is a brother of Jesus. Notice that he doesn't begin the book by saying, Jude, the brother of Jesus. What does he say that he is? He's a servant. And the, and the Greek word is doulos, which means slave of Jesus. And brother of James. To those who are called beloved in God and the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And we don't know the specific congregation that Jude is writing for, but can some of you say, I am beloved? I am beloved. I am kept for Jesus Christ. That's me. So as Jude is writing, he's writing to you and me. And he says this. This is what we need for the fight. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And then verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. That was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed. Who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people. Who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pause there. We'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together in your word. Father, you know how my heart has poured over this passage, this text. Lord, help me to communicate this truth with boldness and clarity. Lord, that you would be with the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, that it might be acceptable to you. And then, Lord, that it might be received by those who hear. Lord, into their hearts, so that it might sink deeply within them, be planted inside of them. And then, Lord, it might begin to grow and bear fruit. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. The battle is raging all around us. It's a cosmic battle for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ And the battleground is the heart and the mind of the people of the world. And we don't go out picking a fight. I'm telling you, if you don't realize that the fight has already come to you, then you're going to be unprepared on the battlefield. The moment that you step out through those doors is the moment that the devil begins to attack you. The moment that you say, I'm a Christian. The moment that you say, I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. Is the moment that the enemy begins to attack. And Jude wanted to write a longer book, a longer letter. uh, Probably a lot like 
Paul's work, or probably a lot like his brother James's work, he wanted to write a longer letter of theology about our common salvation. He wanted to encourage the believers in the faith. He wanted to talk about the benefits of knowing Jesus and about substitutionary atonement and about the coming glory of heaven and and all of those things. But then Jude says, I have a more pressing matter. Something else that you really need to know about and you need to be ready for. The need for Christians to rise up out of apathy and out of marginal, nominal Christianity to take up the armor of God and be ready and prepared for the fight, to get in the fight and to contend for the faith. There's a lot of people warming seats this morning in churches all across America. And the rest of the the week, they're going to live out their life however they want to live it, indulging in their own Thoughts, will, and pleasure. And all around them the battle is raging. And they've taken themselves out of the fight. Listen, that's what the devil wants to do more than anything with you. He knows he can't have your eternal soul if you're a Christian. But what he really wants to do is make you irrelevant. Because you're not in the fight. You're on the sidelines. And here's the thing, from the sidelines, everything begins to kind of blur and everything seems to run together when you're on the side. But when you're in the thick of it, you realize the enemy is formidable. And you realize who your enemy is. And then you realize the need, the necessity to take up the armor of God and to be children of light and children of the day and be awake and not asleep. And you realize all of those things. But if you're marginalized and on the sidelines, it all looks blurry to you. And so what does he tell them to do? He says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend. To get up off of the off of the pew, off of the seat, off of the sideline, the bench, and get into the battle, get into the fight. And the word contend right here is a really interesting Greek word. And we get our word agonize from this. Literally, it means to, to be upon agony or to agonize. If you think about agony for just a moment, there's a few things that we can describe as agony. Like the other day, whenever I had to sit for an hour and a half at the DMV. It was just pure agony. I wanted to get up and just run up to the counter so they could take care of me and get get out of there. Agony. And he tells them he, he wants them to be in the battle fighting. To contend, not just to contend, not to be contentious. Because, listen, hear me. Don't don't hear me wrong about this and don't hear Jude wrong about this. Because he's not calling you to be a contentious person. He's calling you to contend for something. What? For the faith. That was once and for all. Meaning, it was given one time and it was given for everyone. And that once and for all faith that was given is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the truth. So let me give you four reasons why you need to get up and battle every day 
for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number one, the truth is under attack. The truth is under attack. It's true for Jude's day and it's true for your day and my day today. The truth has always been under attack because the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And whenever he speaks, he speaks in his native tongue, which is lying. He's a liar. And so one of the ways that the devil gains territory in the world around us is by telling lies. And he's been telling lies. Now listen, he says in verse 4, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were destined for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I saw a video this past week. It said, don't touch the water in Florida. And and in a few minutes, you realize why after you watch the video and it's just water there, all of a sudden this gator just kind of, and it it looks like he's probably like a a 20-foot gator. He's just been under that surface and he just rises up to the top and then kind of swims off. And that's, that's like these people. They don't come in the front door. They don't announce themselves when they come in. I'm coming in preaching heresy. I'm teaching you lies. I'm leading you astray. No, what do they do? They pop up on your, on your Facebook feed or your YouTube watch or whatever else you, wherever you consume media. They creep in the back door of the church and they find themselves uh, being a Sunday school teacher or a deacon and nobody really knows their theology, but they start teaching and all of a sudden people are hearing things that are contrary to the gospel. They creep into denominations and they become denominational leaders and all of a sudden you have denominations that are splitting because they can't read the Bible clearly and do what the Bible says to do based on truth. They are liars. And the truth is under attack by these who have crept in. And notice what else they do. Look at how they do this. It says they pervert the grace of God. Into sensuality. They take the grace of God and they twist it and they turn it. That's literally what the word means, pervert. It means that they twist it or they distort it. So there's distortion that takes place. And that distortion that's happening in the church and in other places that was happening then is happening today. And this sensuality that it talks about, Paul addresses it in Romans chapter 1, he be, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he begins to say, what should we do with this grace that we've been given? God forgave all of our sins, past, present, future. Somebody say amen to that? So that means I can do whatever I want to do. And I'll get away with it. Is that Christianity, folks? We'll let Lawrence get his seat. All right. So they twist, they twist the grace of God saying, I can do whatever I want to do now that I've been saved. And folks, that is contrary to the gospel because the gospel saves you out of your sin. And you're dead to sin. How can we who have died to sin continue in sin any longer? Is what Paul says. And so that's not what the gospel teaches us. The gospel teaches us that Jesus had to go to the cross and bleed and suffer and die for your sin. How can you sin any longer? And so sensuality, just doing whatever feels good, is evidence that you don't know what Jesus did for you. 
Therefore, you're not truly a Christian. And not, not only that, he goes on to say, by the way they live and the things that they say, they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So not only they distort the truth, they deny the truth. And they say, listen, all this stuff that you know, we believe, it's just not true. And I, I got to thinking about how that's happening today in the world around us. According to a recent poll conducted by Gallup, a portion, the portion of Americans who believe in God has dropped to barely... 80%. It's still the majority, but that means one in five people in the world around us don't even believe that there's a God in America today. And that, that includes every possible other religion that thinks there is any kind of God whatsoever. Not simply and not correctly the one true God of Scripture. This is every God, any God. There's only 80% of people. That means that there's 20% of people that don't believe that there is even a God that exists. Let alone the one true God who does exist. But on the other hand, thinking about what Carl F.H. Henry said 70 years ago. Somebody told him that 99% of Americans believe that there's a God. This is what he said. The vast majority of Americans today may believe in a ghost God. In a phantom God. In a God who makes very little difference in the great decisions of life. And even less in the cares of everyday existence. Imaginary gods like imaginary friends make us feel good for a time but lose their staying power. That's true for individuals or for societies. Which is why Christians must be clear on who God is as He has revealed Himself in Scripture, in creation and in Christ, not a God we create in our own image. Not only are they denying that God exists, they're denying what God has created. If you think about this, those that are in positions to teach and those in positions to lead, listen to some of the things that they're doing. The nation's largest teachers union, the National Education Association, is attempting to change mother, the word mother in all the textbooks, into birthing person. Birthing person. New York, uh, New York City is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to fund Drag Queen Story Hour for children. Let me just say on a side note, any of you that have children, school age children, if you're going to leave your children in public school, that's your decision. And, and I applaud public school teachers. We've got public school teachers in our congregation, public school teachers listening to what I'm saying right now. I love you for what you do. And it's not the teachers. The teachers aren't the problem. But here's the thing. If you're going to leave them in there, you better be absolutely sure that you're deprogramming your children every day whenever they come home from what they are forced to learn in the public school system. And that also goes for your college students. If you're going to send them off to university, you better make sure that you have sent them off prepared and ready and that they know the truth and they're equipped before they go out. So the same thing goes for parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles. Okay? The world around them wants to distort and deny the truth. And so Jude warns about how these people, these apostates, are entering into the church and making themselves teachers. 
And he warns them to be in the fight against them. And so the first thing to realize is the truth is under attack. But the second thing to realize, and this is the second reason why, and by the way, Jude's going to give us all the reasons why, and then he's going to tell us how we ought to be contending. So this is a two-part message. The second part is going to be about how to contend. And so the, the second reason why is time is running out. Time is running out. Now listen to what he says in verse 5. Now I want to remind you. I think sometimes we got to be reminded of things we already know. Somebody tell me. I know that that's true. Allison will send me to the store to pick up, I don't know, a gallon of milk. And I'll come, I'll, I'll get to the cash register. And I'll have all my fishing supplies, my deodorant, my toothpaste. And I look down in the basket and I'll go, well, what was I here for? How many of you know you've got to be reminded sometimes? And, and so Jude reminds the people of the things that they already know. And this is obviously a Jewish audience. And they knew Jewish history very well. They knew their Old Testament very well. And so Jude reminds them and he says, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, you've known this before, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, which Jude is seeing our Savior Jesus as the one who led the people out of Egypt. He's interpreting the Old Testament correctly. Praise God for that. It definitely was Jesus who led them out. The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. The angel of the Lord, Jesus. Who saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Afterward... Destroyed those who did not believe. And if you think about the example that he's given, he gives us these three examples, and he talks about the rebellious children of Israel who died in the wilderness. And, and the reason that they died was because they didn't believe. They got to the, the Jordan River, and they brought the spies brought back this faithless, bad report. And then all the people wept and said, Oh, God can't take us in. So guess what happened? Their bodies died in the wilderness. And then the angels. Now look at the the angels that he talks about. And the angels in verse 6. Who did not stay within their own position of authority. But left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness. In the judgment of the great day. Now, most interpreters believe that he's talking about the angels. uh, the, The sons of God. In Genesis 6 that left heaven and cohabitated with women. And then in the land there were giants during those days. The offspring of these angels who cohabitated with women. And what does he do with these? They're kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness. Jude also pulls from the book of 1st Enoch. Which is an apocryphal Old Testament book. To get a lot of his information. So then he's going to go on and say. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah. And the surrounding cities. Which likewise indulged in sexual immorality. And pursued unnatural desire. Serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. We read the works of Philo. The the, uh, first century historian. He tells us that in that day, in the first century when Jude is writing here, that the smoke is still coming up from Sodom and Gomorrah in southern Israel. Now you imagine that. 
That's something that we, have, we, we can't see today. But what they can see today that still serves as an example for us is that if you go to southern Israel in the area where Sodom and Gomorrah and the other surrounding cities were, there's giant balls of sulfur embedded, some of them three feet deep, into solid sandstone. Balls of sulfur. So whenever the Bible says that God rained down sulfur and brimstone against those cities, it's not telling them a lie. There's historical archaeological evidence to back up what the Bible says. And it serves us as an example. Well, what is the example? Here's the example. This is the the truth that it's teaching us. Is that time is running out. And time ran out for all three of these examples. In all three of these examples. The children of Israel, they had a shot. You're going to cross over into the land that God has given you, or you're going to deny Him. They denied Him. They spent 40 years in the wilderness, and then they died. Their time was short. The angels are being kept. And one day, they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. The rebellious cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, they had a chance. The angels came to them to bring that message of repentance that if they would repent and believe, then they could be saved. But when the angels arrived into town, they tried to kidnap those angels and and rape them. And their time ran out. And this is the lesson that we're called to learn here. Jesus tells us in Luke 21, But watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, that that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. The first reason is that the truth is under attack. The second reason is that time is running out. The third reason is that eternity is at stake. This isn't just a matter of earthly life and death. This isn't just a matter of physical things. This is a matter of eternal significance. The reason why it's important for you to not be apathetic as a Christian is that the souls around you are at stake. The moment that someone closes their eyes here for the last time, they open their eyes up in their eternal destination. And so he says in verse 8, look at what it says, yet in like manner. I just want you to think about those words for just a minute. You got three examples from the Old Testament. Okay? You got rebellious children of Israel. You got rebellious angels. And then you got rebellious Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Jude says, even though they suffered a quick end, and they, they still stand as an example, yet in like manner, people are still doing the same 
things. What does that, what does that mean for us then? People are lost. The world around us is lost, folks. People are dying and going to hell even today. Yet in like manner, people are rebelling against the truth. And there may even be some in the congregation today that still have the same attitudes and rebellious spirit that these people had. Yet in like manner, relying on their dreams. Jeremiah talks about people that come saying, I have dreamed a dream. And what it amounts to is they're following their dreams and their hopes and their wishes rather than the truth of God revealed in Scripture. Relying on their dreams defile the flesh. Reject authority and blaspheme the glorious ones. To just kind of sum up that part, we see the behavior of these. So he doesn't condemn their theology. He, he really points their, out their behavior. And you think about that, they're identifiable by their behavior. These apostate people. These people that are leading others down the wrong path. And the people that are headed on that wide road. They're identifiable by their behavior. They have rebellious attitudes in verse 8. They, they have blasphemous assertions. He says in verses 9 and 10, But when the archangel Michael contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They're destroyed by all that they like, like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. When I think about that, I think about uh, some of the recent episodes or, or video series that have come out profaning who Jesus is. I don't know if you've seen that, but they make fun of Jesus. And He's some hippie or He's always popping up here and there. And they profane even the name of Jesus. The example that He gives here uh, is probably... Part, it's lost to history, but it's probably part of the assumption of Moses. It's a, another apocryphal book. But the reason that he gives this story is because the Jews knew it very well. And he says, look, blaspheming things that you don't understand leads you into destruction. So these rebellious attitudes, blasphemous assertions, baseless advice. Look again with me in verses 12 and following. I want, you to, I want you to read this and see this. Listen to how he describes their help that they give. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. They feast with you without fear. If you think about the, the hidden reefs that people invade the household of God. They invade places of education with their nonsense, and they act like they're truly part of what's going on, parts of those institutions, and yet, here they are hiding themselves, and as soon as someone comes along, unsuspecting, they get snagged. They have no shame in what they're doing. They have no humility about their ignorance or lack of faith. They're just as dangerous to you as a hidden reef is to a ship. And then you keep on going and he talks about not just are they hidden reefs at your love feast, but he says they're shepherds feeding them themselves. 
Shepherds are supposed to lead people toward God, but what do they do? They lead people away from God. And not only do they lead them away, then they feed off of the flock. The shepherds feed themselves and lead the sheep off of a cliff. Then he goes on to say there are waterless clouds swept along by the winds. Imagine people experiencing drought or famine. And, and then you look to the sky for rain and here comes a cloud. But then the cloud just passes on by. Any hope of having any kind of blessing from these people. You might as well get over it. I, I think you need to think about this too as a Christian. A lot of times when you're out in the marketplace and you're doing the things that you're doing, you get in the line and the teller is there and she's being grumpy. And she says something to you and then you say something back to her. And then it goes on for a few minutes and then you walk away from there angry and upset that all that happened, that you had that encounter. And the reason it happened from the beginning is that they're a waterless cloud, but you're going there expecting to get some rain. And it's not going to happen. It goes on to talk about fruitless trees, twice dead and uprooted. You think about those gardens that you planted earlier this spring. If they're anything like mine, they're twice dead and uprooted. And the fruit's all shriveled up on them. The, the, The vegetables are all shriveled up. You go to that plant and you decide you're going to get some fruit and you start to pick it and it's rotten. And here's the thing. Christians, we got to quit going to the lost world out there expecting to get something good from them. And we need to start taking the goodness of the gospel to them. Somebody hurts you, they malign you, give them a blessing. Because you have the hope within you and you know where you're going. They don't. They're dying and going to hell. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Don't look to waterless clouds or twice dead, uprooted trees. Don't look to shepherds that are feeding themselves. Don't go to YouTube, bloggers, and all of those people looking for truth. He goes on to say they're wild waves of the sea casting up foam of their foam of their own shame. See, was just a dreadful thing in the day that Jude was writing. It was unknown and terrible. And waves can be such a bad thing. Did anybody else see that a, a 50-foot vessel went down in the past yesterday? Did you see that? I don't know if a wave hit. I don't know what happened. But I know I've been in the past before and thought, I might just be going down in a minute. <laughs> but he says that these people will take you under. If you associate with them, they'll take you down. Wandering stars. Navigation, whether by land or sea, was conducted by astronomy. A comet or a meteor would lead people off the path. They weren't reliable for navigation. So many compared the false prophets and false teachers and apostate believers with those stars, wandering stars. They have baseless advice. I'm going to tell you also, they have boastful ambitions. Look at what it says in verse 16. Just skip down there with me real quick. We're going to back up and hit verses 14 and following in a minute. Verse 16, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. 
They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. So people that Judas is describing, the lost, wayward people that he's describing, that even find their way in churches sometimes, they want to bring as many people with them as they possibly can. You know why? It's for their own advantage. They're not looking out for you. They don't care what God thinks. They're spiritually dead. And all they want to do is use people. Now here's the thing. None of those things should describe a true Christian. In fact, none of those things do describe a true Christian. Jude never says that any of these people he's describing are actual Christians. But what he's doing for the church is he's telling them, look out for these people. And be careful with these people. And be careful who you follow. And realize that the world is lost and dying. And the only hope is the gospel. He reminds the Christians, Paul reminds the Christians in chapter 2 of Ephesians of how they used to be the same way. And listen to what he says. And you were dead in the trespasses of your sin in which you once walked following the course of this world. You used to follow these footsteps, but now, listen, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the work and the sons of, of disobedient, among whom we all once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But by grace you have been saved. God saved us through faith. I've said this plenty of times before. I would be absolutely a horrible person if Jesus hadn't saved me. I know myself a lot better than you do. And all of these things could describe any one of us. He gives three more examples from the Old Testament. He says, Woe to them, verse 11, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of Balaam's heir and perished in Kor's rebellion. All three of those examples, Cain, Balaam, and and, and, uh, Korah, were all about people who met a sudden end because of their heir. Cain was... Driven away, went and started a city, led untold number of people in his own sinfulness. The battle, lastly, this ought to encourage you, the battle belongs to Jesus. So if there's any other reason why you should get up out of that pew, put on your armor, and battle every day, for the faith of Jesus Christ. It's because He's going to win. There's only one side in this whole thing that's going to win in the end. There's only one group of people that's going to stand. You've got the sheep on one side and you've got the goats on the other. The sheep are going to go in. The goats are going to be cast out. You've got the wheat and the tares. The wheat will be gathered in. The tares are going to be burned up. You've got the good fish and the bad fish. The good fish are going to be hauled in. The bad fish are going to be thrown overboard. And here's the thing. Jesus is the Lord of all of it. 
He's in control. In the, in the book of Revelation, it says, with the sword of his mouth, with one breath, he's going to blow down all the armies that are raised up against Jesus. The battle belongs to Jesus. So he, he says, it was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. How many times did He use the word ungodly there? And the point is, these people have no God. But as a Christian, you know, you have a God. Your God is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who came and He lived a sinless life and He died on a sinner's cross for you, for your soul. And so here's the thing. You owe absolute allegiance to Jesus. And if He's fighting for the hearts and souls of all the people out there, the souls of your family members, of your children and your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, your siblings, the residents of Escambia County, of the world. Whose side are you going to be on? I remember whenever I was a teenager in high school, we had these pickup games of football out of on the field by the school. And, you know, everybody would just kind of gather together. There wasn't a whole lot of rules. We all kind of knew how to play football. So we just gathered, gather up. we start playing. And I remember one particular day, I got on a team and we started playing. And I was like, man, you guys stink. We were losing bad. So I decided... To change sides. <laughs> I said, oh, you know, can't beat them, join them, right? So I just abandoned that team and I got on the winning side. And with me on that team, we really kicked the other team's tail. And here's the thing. There's one side that's going to win in all of this. It's not the devil. It's not His angels. It's not the ungodly of the world that deny and distort the truth. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and all those who swear their allegiance to Him. But I want to give you that opportunity today if you've never done it. Change sides. Choose the winning team. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're a Christian today and you've been out of the fight for some time. Sideline, whatever it might have been that kind of led you down that road. Maybe unsuspecting you. You let COVID take you out of the fight or you let a sickness, some other sickness, let you out of the fight. Or, or maybe it was disappointment or heartache or pain, some struggle in your life and you just sat down. And all the while the enemy has been rejoicing over the territory that he's still has control over because you've been out of the fight 
And the challenge for you today is for you to listen to what Jude says. Hear the reasons why. And get back in the fight. Or maybe you're here today and you've been on the wrong side and you know it. You've heard the message and you know that Jesus is the winning side. Not just that, He's Savior and Lord. And He wants to be your Savior and Lord today. And you want to come to Him as a sinner so that you might find forgiveness. If that's you today, the Lord is saving you right now. I want to lead you in a prayer. And you pray this prayer with me. It's your response to His calling on your life to be saved. Say, Dear Jesus, I admit to you now that I am a sinner. I've done things I know are wrong. And I have failed to do that which I know is right. And I do deserve the penalty for my sin. I deserve to die and go to hell and be separated from you forever. But Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life. And then you died on the cross for me so that I might be forgiven. I believe that you were raised again and you're alive and that you're coming back. And so today I ask you to forgive me. I want to be ready when you return. Make me a new person. Give me a life worth living here on this earth. I'll fight for you. I'll spend the rest of my life living for you and loving you. Thank you for my salvation. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with us? We're going to sing our hymn of invitation. This is your opportunity. If you need prayer, you come to the altar. Our, our prayer counselors will be here. If you need to make Myrtle Grove Baptist Church your home. This is your opportunity. You come. If you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior today, you asked Him for forgiveness, we want to know so we can celebrate with you, so we can encourage you, we can offer to you believers baptism. We've got resources for you. You come. Don't hold that in. Let us celebrate it together.